Visual Mental is the podcast for candid and relatable discussions on mental health from a different perspective. That is the peer perspective. Thousands of men die each year from the silence, and we're trying to break that. Even though our goal is to have men opening up, everyone is welcome to listen and learn a thing or two. So let's end the silence, break the stigma, and normalize mental health. Hey, everyone. This is Pat. This is Hassan. How's it going? Going well, man. How things been lately? Things are going pretty well, actually. Um, work's going pretty good. Um, I got my diabetes under control, and my brother's in town from Georgia, so hopefully I'll get to see him. Um, and actually, I wanted to share with you that today is my one-year anniversary of being a supervisor as a peer specialist at my job. Wow! Woo! So I wanted to let, let you know that. Yeah, congrats, man. How are you feeling? I feel so good, good about it. I feel like I'm stuck with it, and... <laughs> and Billie Jean approves. <laughs> and Billie Jean approves. I stuck with it. I grinded it out, and I just kept going. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, congrats. I, I know that you um, you transferred to that new position, and um, yeah, you had good feedback too from your boss and I guess from your team. So uh, wow, that's great. A year already. So time flies. I know. It's like just like that flies by. Yeah, awesome. What's, what's new with What's new with you? New with me, uh, we move uh, from work, we move offices. So we did a grand opening uh, last night. A lot of people showed up. So a lot of stress, you know, getting disorganized, but it was good success with good feedback. So that was awesome. But what I'm most excited about is that we have our very first guest on the show today. We're super okay. happy to welcome Steve Fideli. Yeah, that's <laughs> I right. always mess up your last name. <laughs> Fideli, yeah. Fideli. <laughs> And uh, I'll let uh, Steve uh, introduce uh, himself in just a second, but very excited um, to have Steve on the show. Uh, I got to know Steve when I was studying as a peer specialist uh, back in Boston in 2018, and we hit it off and we really got along well and sharing the same uh, passions and values. So uh, we've been good friends since then. So um, I'm super happy to have him uh, on the show today. So, hey, Steve, how's it going? Hey, thanks, Pat. Yeah, it's uh, good to see you. And uh, nice to meet you, Hassan. Nice to, meet, nice to have you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, no, things are good. Um, just got done working around 630. Um, I'm also a peer specialist, as, as you mentioned. I work at McLean Hospital and I, I coordinate a group's program and I, I do a few other things as well. Um, groups and vocational support programs. Cool. I wanted to, to start with a bunch of questions because actually we would just want people to know you a bit better, what you do. You mentioned you're a peer specialist at McLean, which is a great hospital. And I think you were the first peer specialist over there, right? Somewhat. I I mean, there's an outpatient program, Waverly Place, that had peer specialists. They're off campus, but um, you know, they paved the road a little bit for peer specialists. But on the main campus, uh, I was the first one for a little while, and then, but I had a lot of support from the other peers at Waverly as well. But yeah, it was kind of a unique journey. Just you know, there was a lot to handle, a lot to learn. I mean, partly in Massachusetts, you start the job before you get the certification, so you know, there are a lot of dynamics, um, a lot of barriers to kind of break down, and yeah, being the first one on the main campus. Yeah, it must have been uh, challenging as well, uh, having peer specialists accepted uh, in the workplace. I know I had to deal with that a little bit at, at some extent, but I've always been curious, like on, on your side, if you were mainly by yourself, trying to be accepted from the peers and um, also medical professionals over there. So how did that go uh, for you? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it felt awkward just like being the peer specialist in the room, like a lot of the conversations that would happen in clinical settings that 
would normally happen were kind of bogging down. Like people didn't know how to talk to me. It just felt awkward and strange. There was a lot of otherness. But I mean, I feel like there's been a lot of growth in the hospital in terms of like, I have a lot of friends who are clinicians. I like have a decent amount of support. Right. I'm also right with you guys. I'm a peer specialist, like I said earlier. And I, I understand those working through those barriers because sometimes it's like, well, yes, the peer specialist job is recognized and, and understood. I feel like sometimes my coworkers and colleagues don't take me as seriously. They don't see the value in the lived experience that I bring to the table. And that gets a little bit frustrating sometimes when you have to kind of work through those barriers and loopholes and let them know that like, listen, I have these great ideas and we can approach them in a different manner. It's getting better as the years go on. And is it because of the diplomas or the years you studied or it's really about changing some of the mindsets? I want to say it could be both of those things. It could be both because the looking down upon people, I'm not trying to say anybody's bad or whatever. I'm just trying to call it how it is. The looking down upon somebody if they have less degrees than you or not those letters next to your name. You know what I mean? Oh, you. Yeah. The whole mindset of the system needs to change as well. And, and, and it's shifting slowly, but it, it, it needs to change. And I think a peer perspective can really help propel the people that we support. Yeah, absolutely. There's some work that's been done. Steve, I think you, you do some talks uh, with medical uh, residents mm -hmm. in some university and Harvard. So um, do you want to share a little bit of that? Oh, I mean, McLean is a Harvard teaching affiliate. So, I mean, a number of peers work as teachers within the hospital. I work directly in a good outcomes lecture where, you know, it's in the NAMI format of the good outcomes lecture where, you know, we're just discussing like a recovery story and then getting feedback. I also do a session called lived experience rounds where they're processing rounds for the residents during their psychiatric rotations in their residence. Yeah, it residents in a residency. Good one. Um, but uh, so, <laughs> like, there are different forms of teaching that we're beginning to provide at McLean. We also did a pilot, kind of like QI study, to just assess, like, you know, with clinical staff, with all staff, um, what was the efficacy of peer-led in services. So that was during 2021 into 2022. Um, we got 80 results, 80 survey results with um, a lot of good data. So there are a lot of people at the hospital who are proponents of peer work, and I feel like, you know, even over the years, there are people with unconscious bias. And I don't feel like in our place, it's been malicious. I feel like people just aren't aware necessarily of like their blind spots. And that can still be pretty challenging. Yeah, I was gonna say, I, I love how you put that. It's not it's not coming from a malicious place. It's just a blind spot or a place that they're unaware of. I think I agree with that statement. Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, they come to work, they want to do a good job, they want to be supportive and helpful. I mean, you're just not aware of what you're not aware of. And we all have blind spots. I'm excited to talk about other projects and other things that you're doing because you're involved in many different things. If you want to share some of the other uh, things that you do uh, around mental health. Yeah. So I work 40 hours a week as a peer specialist at McLean. One of my primary roles is I coordinate the WellSpace program, which is a program for young adults 18 to 30 who've had psychosis at any point. You know, I'm 36, so I'm relatively close in age. And we have peer support and we also have um, clinicians who facilitate groups as well. And sometimes they're peer and clinician-led groups. So there are groups, there's vocational support. It's been a growing program. It's been a really strong need. It's been a really valuable program for a number of community members. It's been really interesting to be a part of it and to see, you know, be alongside people in their personal growth and their journeys, whether they're going through school or getting back to work or, you know, seeing changes in their life, all these different things. And we're, we're all about like creating the life you want. So, yeah. you know, the thing I found over the years, I remember in the beginning, I was like, oh, I'll check in about someone with like symptoms or things that are 
hard to go through. But over the years, we've realized like if we just focus on helping people create the life they want, then like all these other things come to the forefront. And it is about creating the life you want, you know, whether you're having a mental health condition happening or whether you get more relief from it, you know, we're there to help people create that meaningful and purposeful life that they want and that they can enjoy. And that, that's been a good model that that's worked pretty well. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I see it to the work I do it also on my side. And you mentioned something about uh, diagnosis and just made me think about a question I was asked about the organization where I work. Are your programs matching peers, a peer mentor, you know, with a person who is struggling? Is it based on diagnosis? And spontaneously, I just said, well, we don't work with diagnosis. So, you know, as peers as well. And it's right because I said, you know, darkness is darkness. Despair is despair. So whether you have a diagnosis of whatever it is, yes, it's a bit different. The experience is different, but those deep feelings you have, they're pretty similar. So we can understand each other and we can support each other. I think that the more we can get away from those diagnoses and putting the labels and being able to meet people where they're at, I think we can go beyond that and be good listeners and be supporters. I think it's definitely people are more than the label. They're more than the diagnosis. And this quote unquote system keeps using those labels and diagnosis. So the whole system needs to be rebuilt. But I want to just touch upon real quick about helping the people that we work alongside and with creating the life that they want. I think if we treat them with that mutuality and that respect and we come from a place of understanding, like you're talking about, Steve and Pat, like you guys are saying, I remember in uh, in training with Wildflower, they had VCVC. It was vulnerability, uh, community. Uh, help me out. Do you remember them? Do you remember them, Pat? I have a blank, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that training. I lost it. It was like really like, it really hit me, but now I'm forgetting. Um, it was like vulnerability, community, community connection, yeah. validation. Yeah. That was the yes. other V. I was like, what's the other V? <laughs> I'm like, very, very good. good. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No. But if we validate people and meet them where they're at and understand where they're coming from in their lives and knowing that everybody's at a different place in their recovery, we don't need these labels. We don't need these diagnoses. We could just use what you're talking about going beyond and saying, I can listen to you. I hear you. And that's what we bring to the table as peer specialists. Yeah. I get mixed emotions about diagnosis. I feel like some people find it damaging. I feel like others find it really helpful. Um, you know, sometimes people get a diagnosis and they're like, all right, this is like a relief. Yeah. There's something actually happening that goes beyond who I am or what I've been through, which like kind of contribute to the mental health condition. I don't know. I guess to speak to both points, Groot. Like within well space, we're in conjunction with first episode clinic um, on track McLean. So like there is a criteria to have had psychosis, which I feel in some parts is good because it's a really underserved population. Like, you know, have, there aren't a lot of services available if you've had psychosis. So like we do have a specific focus, which I feel is good. But even like, you know, after someone's accepted to the program, we don't review the referral again. They just are in the program. We don't know anyone's diagnosis. And even as I move through the hospital, I work inpatient, outpatient, residential. I still don't know anyone's diagnosis. And I work with over 100 unique people a week, probably. Like, I don't need to know their diagnosis to be a support. So kind of to speak to what you're saying, Hassan, like all this like multiplicity of like, what does a diagnosis mean? Or what it's, I feel like it's just so subjective, the, the goodness or the badness, or there, there's so many things that it causes or it doesn't cause as well. Yeah. And I like your point of view. And it's interesting. Like, there's two things that I picked up is, is it helpful? Yes, to put a label 
soul in it because then I can know what is going on with me. I guess if I look back at my experience, not knowing what was going on with me until I was hospitalized and it was the end of my life, I wish I knew before. I kind of knew because they mentioned, you know, anxiety, some depression. So in that sense, yeah, I think it can be relieving just like if you have a, a physical condition, you're not sure, you don't know what it is. My mother just went through something like that. So until she knew what was happening, it's super stressful. And uh, and Hassan, you, you've been through, uh, we talked about in previous episode about your diabetes, which you didn't know you had. And I try to translate that to mental health as well. So you're right, there could be a piece of that that can help to identify and then try to find the right path or try to find ways to help uh, and get better understanding. In that sense, I'm not like fully against diagnosis, but I think with mental health, where it mixes is that there's a lot of misinterpretation. Of course, there's stigma and it's so easy to label somebody's behavior. If you put a diagnosis, they'll say, yeah, we know it's because you live with schizophrenia. Oh, it's because you live with bipolar. And sometimes, no, it's just normal behavior. And if you chain me or you lock me down, of course, I'm going to get aggressive and I'm going to get impatient. And I'm not that person, but in that situation. So that's where then it gets I think it gets mixed up. Yeah, there's an element of peer support where we don't have access to the medical notes, but I feel like we don't need to either. People, if they trust you or they feel they can share enough with you, like they'll divulge the things they're wanting to work on. Like, you know, we don't need to go fishing for information, which as clinicians, there might be like risk assessments that they have to complete or they're looking out for someone's safety, which can be part of the reason they could be looking for different information. You know, there can be good reasons. There can be other reasons that are questionable. Um, I feel like from the peer vantage point, that's like a strength because a lot of the conversations I have with people, I just ask like, what are people thinking about today in a group per se that I open a lot of groups with that. What do you want to talk about? Like just open discussion or like just checking in with someone. What's on your mind today? What do you want to focus on? And then we start talking about things together. So it's like a really just open-ended questions, a lot of open-ended questions. That's where that curiosity comes from. We walk in, we don't have, we don't have the records. And if we're curious enough, and I like how you said, if they trust us, and if we have that relationship with them, they're going to tell us what they want us to know. I didn't look at it that particular way. I like that. I like that point of view. So Steve, I heard a little bit that you were doing a little bit of peer teaching and um, peer research. Can you kind of just go into that a little bit more? Yeah. So um, peers as teachers at McLean, um, there are a lot of peers who are providing different um, teaching sessions for clinical staff, for medical students, for nursing students, for psychiatrists in their resident um, in their rotations, their, re- their residency rotations. So um, these are in service I take part in as well. I remember, you know, at least in Massachusetts, I feel like it's more prevalent. I was working with a friend, um, Adrian Gherkin. Um, she's a um, psychiatrist. She works at Jefferson University. University. She used to work in McLean, but um, you know, we did a teaching symposium together with a few other coworkers. Harvard Teaching Symposium. So it was peers as teachers. We put together a presentation and we did some research on it. And there were 15 people in, in both sessions, totaling 30. And then we went to the AAP conference, the Academic Association for Psychiatry, and it's like a th- 330 person conference. And it was just really surprising to just say like, this is a really novel approach that's happening. And she had mentioned this can be seen sometimes as a radical idea. And we had good material, we had good presentation and it went well. So I think just like the expansion of peers, you know, it's a unique um, position to hold being someone who's, you know, utilizing services and providing services. Um, It's really vantage point that, you know, a lot of clinicians aren't able to by like organizational standards, share their lived experience 
experience or have the training that we do, you know, there are a lot of novel approaches and ideas and philosophies and ways of caring for people that come out of those sessions, um, especially in the sessions I've been doing and I've heard you know, that we've taken data on as well. It, it's just kind of interesting to implementing people with lived experience more so as teachers, which was like, it wasn't an idea we started. There's a couple people, um, Sasha Agrawal, and there was a, a person he was working with. The two of them started it together. You know, they met in the cafeteria at a University of Toronto, I believe. Um, I could be wrong, but, you know, they were the originators of this process. And um, yeah, there's some research and data that uh, they had put forth on it as well. That's where McLean got the idea and you know we're kind of moving with it as well do you think that at one point the other professions a doctor psychiatrist maybe therapist could open up a little bit and be more human i'm always hopeful that maybe we can have you know that kind of peer approach without going to extremes you don't have to share your whole life and your whole story but just to show that vulnerability maybe and just show that you're you're human too and do you think that can change a bit or um i know with peer specialists in the hospital the cultures changed a lot in terms of um, shift. it was already on its way to wanting to be more recovery model oriented but it, it's shifting even more to like more egalitarianism um, more person centered like make more voices um, equal but I do resonate with what you're saying with like I know when I'm in my own therapy session sometimes I want to know more about the person I've been talking to for like 10 or so years and he doesn't divulge anything we actually have a joke where I try to figure out things about him and so are you just like do you garden I know you garden like you must right like when he's walking in the hallway well if you see like he's got boots or something in his office or you know i'm like what are those boots for and, like you know <laughs> i don't know i'm just trying to pick out things <laughs> you know, and see what I can figure out. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, he has a philosophy of care. He's talked about for him to not divulge anything identity related. It's supposed to allow a space for me to divulge whatever I'm wanting to in terms yeah. of my life. So that that's like part of the philosophy behind it. And I think for a lot of providers, that is what's incorporated, but it's still kind of funny. Yeah, it is. Still trying yeah. to learn. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know everything about me and I know nothing about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. So there's another project as well, the Peer Research Advisory Board, you know, which two clinicians um, with the help of me a little bit, I didn't do as much. They were more the forerunners in it. But, you know, we all worked together to get an advisory board for research projects within the hospital where, you know, researchers would come to the board and, um, you know, they'd have different um, feedback or advice they were looking for on a particular project in all different phases of the projects as well. So that was a service we've been able to provide. And I think that's been going for about two years now. But it, it's been a cool experience, just like advising the research and learning about it and um, seeing some of the things we're mentioning being implemented and changing the course of the study. So um, those are the couple things happening right now in terms of research. Thanks for sharing because it's always nice to see where the peer workers are influencing and are acting as well because we came from all the three of us working in the field, helping folks one-on-one. -on -one. I find it's so neat to see that our profession were kind of infiltrating, you know, all these branches in a good way, infiltrating in a good way, but influencing and, and also being asked to be part of those programs 
project, which is even better than just saying, hey, we want to be there and knocking on doors, which is fine. We had to take our place. But now seeing that we're being asked to sit at the table and participate in those, it's it's so refreshing. So thanks for sharing that. It's great. Yeah, I think um, there are a couple elements to it that come into play. One is just, I think, having an openness. I came into peer work and I was like somewhat oppositional to you know the system or whatnot. And I realized like as I met increasingly more people who also have their own lived experience, you know, maybe not to the degree of psychosis, but like, you know, other ailments that they're dealing with, which are just as serious. I don't know if there's even a hierarchy. But um, the other part too is the peer role. Historically, uh, role clarity is um, very nebulous in terms of peer specialist work, which has like, it's double-sided. In one perspective, it's good because peers can be implemented in a number of different ways. But there is an element where if you don't have good enough role clarity and you lose a sense of what the job is and what you're supposed to be doing, that like it can lead to a lot of burnout and um, people leaving the profession. So those are a couple of the things I, I think about when you mention this. Speaking of, you just said the word burnout. I want to change just gears just a little bit. And you also mentioned earlier that you're you're involved in your own therapy. What are some things that are working for you in your recovery these days, today? What what are what are things that you do in your life that's been helpful to you or, or beneficial or and things of that nature? Yeah. Trips to California. <laughs> trips to California. That's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> trips to California. Visiting Pat. Yeah, I think a big part is that um, I've done a lot of journaling. I've done a lot of work on my recovery. I journal every day to work on things. A lot of personal growth around, you know, serious like things I've been through, um, traumas I've been through, all that kind of stuff. Where I'm at now definitely isn't where I was at years ago. Um, I haven't been inpatient for like 12 years. I'm 36. My last hospitalization was at 24. But But like, you know, when I left, I left in a clinical like delirium where I couldn't really think clearly or function or speak or take care of myself. So it's been like a long journey and a lot of work. Um, I think another part, just making a lot of good decisions, like having a commitment to like doing the right thing, being a good person for the good that's worth, but also there are other dividends of like, it gives you a clear headspace. Rumi talks about like the secret door. Um, it's in one of his poems. And I know like there are a lot of moments where I've been like, I feel stuck. I feel like I can't move forward. And in the poem, he says, when you feel stuck, there's always a secret door. There's always a way forward. Um, You just have to find it. And I feel like my way of finding it is through being a good person, being good to everyone, and then just work ethic. I feel like the people who do best with mental health recovery are the ones who have like that tremendous work ethic to just improve and work on things. Um, that That's, yeah, that's a little about my recovery. I'm totally digging that vibe. hundred <laughs> percent. Like, I'm with you on that. I've never heard that poem before, but I love the idea of the secret door. I love that you try to be a good person and try to treat things in a, in a good way as just a true, like a good human. And I think that's rare. And I think those are the best people in the field. Thanks. McLean's got a good one, you know? Yeah, they do. I would do a group hug now. <laughs> Can we talk about other projects that you have? Um, I'd love people to know that you're a writer and want to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I've written a memoir and a book that's just like a book of essays about psychosis and how I've kind of worked through it or different things that were helpful to me. Um, my author's name is Steve Calori. So on stevecalori.com, you can find my work. Um, I've had space from writing lately. I mean, I wrote a mental health column for like six years. It was unofficial for two years, then it was officially a column for four years. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll do some writing for work as well, different articles that come up about peer work. Yeah, I mean, writing helped me 
continue to grow and evolve and to work through the mental health condition. So it's a lot of exploratory writing, a lot of writing about stigma or about my own experiences, you know, with the mental health condition or about um, learning and growth opportunities I've had in my life to help me move forward. But I feel like my whole recovery has been a lot of personal growth. I feel like um, fear, hatred, and judgment are the three things I'm usually trying to uplift when I'm trying to work on my mental health recovery to feel like safe, to feel love or kindness or forgiveness and to have understanding for people. So that's kind of the premise of a lot of what I write about or yeah, have been writing about for a while. Yeah, and it's good. And I highly recommend um, for everyone, like uh, it's really personal. It's mm -hmm. it's well written, uh, both your books and also uh, your article with the Good Men Project and uh, other places. So um, if people want to go on your website or, or through also, I know on Facebook, you post some stuff, but um, I like uh, also you talk about stigma. There are so many different topics that you to touch mm -hmm. upon. And uh, I like the way and the tone because it's not an angry tone. It's not bitter. It's really uh, reflective and it moves forward, which which I like and touch on those uh, those different topics. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. And my work, I do a lot of thinking about my own thinking and, you know, my writing mentor, um, Alfred Nicole, he talks about a lot of my writing is about like, what is the right way to live? You know, that's like a question and like a theme throughout my writing that I'm constantly asking, like, what is the right way to live? How do I want to do things? How do I want to move forward? Yeah. Um, I appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's been great having you, uh, you know, on the show, we, we've taken a lot of your uh, precious time. You're busy. Uh, was there any, anything Uh, you want to tell uh, all the, the men out there about their mental health or not just men, many people listen to us as well. Yeah, I think recovery is a process and it takes a lot of work and putting forth the work is worthwhile. I think that's one of the most rewarding things I've noticed is I notice how like I'm changing and evolving. My life is changing. There's a saying that like as you grow healthier and, you know, life expands. So the opportunities I have available in my life, like there's so many more people around. There's so much more I'm doing. I'm living independently. My social life is going pretty well, which wasn't the case for a while. So to just hold the hope. Awesome. Thank you. Asan, did you have any closing? Thank you so much. It's it's nice when when like you can have two different friend groups meet together and they like each other and they get along. It's like, yes, that's a good feeling. I would do a group hug now. <laughs> Bye everyone. Sensitive content for some people. Hosts are not therapists nor doctors. Everyone's experience is different and valid. Find what works for you. If you or someone you know needs immediate mental health support, call 1-800-273-TALK-8255 or go to your local emergency hospital. Thanks to Bricks Wild for the music. Thanks to No Town for the mixing and editing. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button if you like what you heard today.